We've talked lots about delegation on this show over the years, but what does effective delegation really look like for a leader? On this Saturday cast, a window into effective delegation from a leader who's made a big shift. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 485. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. This is the monthly Saturday cast. About once a month here, we hear a Saturday episode that's a chat with one of our Academy members or listeners. The next regular episode is still coming on Monday. This is an extra show. And the Saturday casts are sponsored and brought to you by the Coaching for Leaders Academy. The Academy is a year-long cohort of participant leaders who work personally with me to create movement in their leadership development and organizational results. You can discover more and get alerted to future opportunities to apply to the Academy by going over to coachingforleaders.com slash academy. Today, I am thrilled to welcome one of our Academy members who is going to help us really dive in and some good insight on two topics that really do come up for so many of us in leadership, the topic of vision. And then, of course, the tactical step of being able to delegate well as a leader. I am glad to welcome Michael Byrne to the show. Michael is an attorney and partner at Silverman, Shin, and Byrne in New York. It's one of the largest minority-owned law firms in the state of New York. Michael's primary area of focus includes tort and commercial litigation defense. He serves clients in a broad range of matters, including attorney malpractice, personal injury torts, insurance, business formation, securities, and cyber liability claims. He's a member of the New York State Bar Association and on several committees. Michael is also a member of the Puerto Rican Bar Association and the Defense Research Institute. He provides legal advice to various civic associations and also to youth ice hockey organizations in Long Island, and he's also a member of the Coaching for Leaders Academy. Michael, a pleasure to be talking to you, as always. Hey, Dave. It's great to talk to you as well. I was curious, and I know you've told me before, but I'm, it's escaping my mind. Before we dive in on our conversation, do you recall how you came across the podcast originally? I think I realized that I needed help, and I needed help in terms of just working with my people and figuring out what I was doing as a manager. You know, I had started as obviously as an attorney, as an associate, became a partner. I did trial work. I was helping run big chunks of the firm. I was doing all of these things. And then they tell you, well, you're a heck of an attorney. Now go and manage 15 people. And I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So knowing that I desperately needed the help. I started, I was reading books and articles and I started listening to podcasts because I have a long commute. And I came across uh, Coaching for Leaders podcast and it quickly became one of my favorites. Well, thanks for jumping in on the show. And we've been working together now for almost two years. And one of the things that I know is really top of mind for you and your work and certainly top of mind of the work we do in the academy is the word vision and thinking about the future and where things want to go. And as you've been thinking about that word, how has that framed its importance in the work you do as a leader today? I think 
that I'm continually trying to imagine what the firm is going to look like in six months to a year, what the legal landscape is going to look like as far as the work that we do. And it's really helped to create a mindset of constantly looking forward. And it's allowed me and it's allowed my firm to take advantage of opportunities that might not have otherwise presented themselves. And one of the things that we had talked a lot about within the context of the academy and you and I had spoken about was we, about a year ago, we started to have employees who, due to certain health concerns or other reasons, wanted to maybe work one day from home. And, you know, as it is now, that sounds quaint, (laughs) working one day a week from home. But at the time, my firm and the, the partners were going through, I think, what a lot of people go through when that first comes up. How do we monitor this? How do we know that people are working? How's it going to work? And it was through looking into the future and, and sort of believing that this was going to be a part of our future in one way or the other, that I was very behind this idea within certain parameters, of course, but you know was pushing it. And if that had not happened and we had not started to get the capability of doing that, we would have been in very bad shape when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden my entire firm was working from home. So since we had as a partnership come together on that and followed this vision of looking at what the future might be like, we had the capability already in place in the transition, while still a large transition, the first steps had been taken and we had the correct mindset because we had been looking towards the future. It's just one example, but in that constant looking at what may happen when little opportunities come up, they tend not to be overlooked. And it's really helped us as a firm. You've really, I'm thinking back to one of the first conversations we had almost two years ago, and you've always been thinking forward very intentionally and thinking about not only the big picture, but the tactical things like how do we work virtually better? And uh, I hope this doesn't sound critical at all, but you know, law firms aren't necessarily known for always being at the forefront of technology change or business change and quite rightfully tend to do things more traditionally because that's what the market is looking for. And you've really been at the forefront of thinking, how do I and we as a firm move forward in a new world? And thankfully, you did that. And you've been so intentional about that for a year or so. So when the change did happen, you were ready to make that change. And one of the other things you've really focused on intentionally during our time together is delegating well as a leader, which is something so many of us struggle with. And I was thinking back to the challenges that a lot of us run into when we begin to take on management for the first time. And you, you alluded to that a moment ago of just taking on the role, not knowing what you were doing at the beginning. What was that journey like for you when you became a manager and stepped into this role as partner of managing a team of attorneys? How did that go as far as delegation at the beginning? Well, I had been a partner for quite some time when I took over the insurance defense division in the firm back in late 2012. So it's a little while ago now. But at first, it didn't go particularly well. First, I had looked at it completely differently than I do now. And if I was giving someone a task that maybe I didn't want to do or handle a case that I might not have had time to do, I felt like I was dumping it on someone and that I was 
imposing, especially at my firm. We have a lot of people who've been there for more than 10 years. We have several attorneys I've worked with for 20 years. So we grew up together. And now being in some ways elevated a bit above them and asking them to do things was very difficult for me. And I didn't understand not only the critical importance of it, and I just kept piling more work on myself. I didn't understand that I also wasn't helping them grow as attorneys and as leaders within the firm. And that's been the biggest mindset change. A couple of challenges I'm hearing you had early on, especially, is one is you were getting into that place where you were still doing a lot of the work yourself that you probably should have been delegating. So the work stacking up for you. At the same time, other folks aren't necessarily growing and you're not asking them or challenging them to do more and really driving their professional development. And that is a uh, recipe for a tough road ahead You know, if, if you go down that path too long. What did that look like as you went down that path and when did you come to the point where you're like, oh, you know, that's not working for me? Well, what it looked like was like someone trying to cut their grass with a pair of scissors. It looked terrible. I was piling more and more work on myself. I was became at times more and more frantic, which in a position of leadership doesn't really help because I was conveying my own inability to handle so much. And while I was getting the actual work done, because it's so important to be in court and to, to get the motion out on time and to get the report out on time, where I was losing the battle was in working with people. And I would have to restrict the amount of access that people had to me because I was working on tasks that associates could have been doing and associates could have been growing, learning from. Also, what became more and more obvious was that I was making maybe some of the same mistakes that had been made previously where I hadn't grown as a leader to the point where I was ready to step into that role because I hadn't had the opportunities to not only grow as an attorney, but to grow as a, a leader by being given some of that responsibility. As you think back, what's one of those situations or times where you really found yourself struggling with that and one of those early mistakes you made? You know, I remember an associate who's no longer with our firm, but she was a very, very good, talented associate. And she asked a lot of questions. And it was getting to the point where, because I was so busy with other things, that I could see people coming through the frosted glass. And if I saw her coming, I would hide. <laughs> 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 I would we've all been times, there. we've all been there Michael. <laughs> yeah, there were times where I would just duck under the desk and hide because it was just too difficult to even have that short interaction because I was doing so many other things uh-huh. and losing sight of the big picture. One of the things that I was really rewarded with by her and first of all she had started to notice that I became harder to find and one of the great things, first, she didn't hold it against me. And she understood that she asked a lot of questions. But I did notice that she was, wasn't asking the same questions twice. And she had actually made a list or a guidebook. I still haven't seen it. It's something the associates guard amongst themselves. 
but it contains all of my answers to her questions. So in not fully engaging with her, I did a disservice because that guidebook might be even better than I'm sure what she put together. But I was missing the fact that she was actually doing something that became really important to the firm as a whole while I was under my desk. I appreciate you sharing that story because whether any of us have ever literally dove under our desks or just done it metaphorically, we've all had those moments where like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I don't think I can answer one more question. And what I'm hearing you say here is it wasn't even so much her specifically, it was you were dealing with so much and you had your hands in so many things that it was literally you couldn't handle one more question from someone. That if you did that, the brief wouldn't get filed or whatever wouldn't happen right or on time. And that it was almost you doing a disservice to yourself versus anyone else causing that. Precisely. She's actually one of my favorite associates that's ever worked at the firm. My mother works at the firm in our billing department, and I was hiding from her as well. So it wasn't a particular person. It was just that I had so overwhelmed myself with just a myriad of these small tactical obligations that I was missing the strategic big picture. And I wasn't helping the firm overall, which is really what I've tried to do every day since you know, I set foot in their offices as an associate back in 1996. You're in a really different place today as a leader in a good way. And one of the things that you've shared with me before is that you're better today than you were about talking about the bigger why behind things with people versus just doing what I think you've told me before, like hot potato management, where you get something and you just dump it off on someone, but really talking about the bigger why. Tell me about that and what you mean by the why. I think in now having a very different workload, having constructed a workload where I still get to work with clients, which I love doing. I still get to be a lawyer, which is something that I, I think I'm really good at and I love doing. But I spend a lot of time thinking about where we're going to and how we can be better. And in doing that and being very interested in that, what I've learned and what I've really dove into is that it's fun to actually speak with the attorneys I work with about some of these ideas that I have and where I'd like to go and explaining the why. First, it just helps with getting buy-in. And it also helps because very often I find that my own ideas become shaped by the input that I get from people who I have these conversations with. So they're really important to shaping how we do things as a firm. And it's also given the attorneys and the staff the opportunity to see how I think, for me to see how they think, which has allowed me to delegate even more because I know that we're on the same page in terms of where we'd like to go with, whether it's a particular project or the firm as a whole or developing the culture within the firm or quality control, whatever that may be. If I was watching you have a conversation with an associate about a case or a client and observing how you're having that conversation today, what's different now that wasn't true seven or eight years ago when you found yourself diving under the desk? The biggest thing would be it's conversation would be a little like a football game where there's they talk about time of possession. 
So the time of who's talking, I would have dominated that. And it would have been a very short conversation of me telling someone what I thought about something after maybe listening to them describe a situation for a few seconds. And I would have jumped on top of it and tried to just fix whatever problem it was to get them back out, get them working so I could get back to whatever it was that I was doing. Now, if someone comes in, I tend to ask more questions. I want to know more about it. And I want to know what they're doing and what they're thinking. Because more often than not, the answers that they give me to my questions are the answer to their own questions. And now I have the opportunity to do a lot more teaching within those conversations and coaching. And not only do I think it makes the attorneys better and our work product better, it is also just something I love doing. How is it different for you now thinking about the balance of your work and the interactions you have than it was when you were just you know given a quick answer and shutting down the conversation pretty quickly? I think it's always a, a struggle in the sense that it is very easy to become mired in the tactical. But when I think about it now, I just have changed the way that I keep track of the work that I'm doing. So if I'm using whatever sort of to-do list, it contains mostly strategic level tasks. And I just am constantly sort of reflecting on what is it that I should be doing to help my people and to help the firm. Because by doing that, I think that it makes our firm better. I think that it makes our work product better, our responsiveness to our clients better. And now that I see the connection between not only writing a great appellate brief can help a client, but also by helping our people be responsive you know, to client needs, it helps not just one client in one situation, it helps all of our clients in a myriad of situations. So thinking of things in terms of my multiplying my ability to affect change for our clients is something that I'm constantly thinking about. As you have changed your style over time and now are more coach-like, which by the way, our first conversation two years ago, that conversation, that word came up a lot, being more coach-like as a, a partner. And I was thinking like, wow, I don't hear a lot of partners in law firms using that kind of language. One of the reasons I was so excited about working with you. As you've made that shift, what have people, your associates, the staff, maybe even clients noticed about you in the last couple of years? I think probably the most notable change is the amount of time that I have to spend on things that concern them as far as so if an associate is concerned with a given case or working on a motion that I have a lot more time to spend with them in not only helping them complete that task, but in working on the skills to not only make their their writing better or presentation better for that particular motion or appeal, but also so that they have those skills going down the line. I would imagine it has a lot more to do with time and probably uh, my obvious interest level. You know, I have been told, and paralegal comes to mind, that I used to have a face that was the don't bother me face. 
mm-hmm. and I could greet someone, but if I had that face on, you're probably going to get a very short answer. And I don't think that people see that face very often anymore. When you show up in the office, and I know, of course, so many of us are working virtually right now, but when you're there physically, what's different about now how those conversations start and your facial expressions and just how you enter into a conversation with someone when they show up unexpected? Well, I think one of the big differences started with just my physical location in in the office. For a long time, I had an office that was tucked away in a corner. And to come talk to me, you had to walk all the way around the office. And if I wasn't there, you wasted you know, five minutes of your time. And that was somewhat done on purpose. And I moved my office to being right in the middle of everything that happens. And my door is mostly open now. So when people come in, I get to greet them, find out why they're there. And usually what happens now is there might be a line actually that forms by my office or people sort of hovering around waiting to ask me a question, but they're not getting the, here's your hat, what's your hurry treatment anymore. So if you do wait on that line, it may take a little while because, you know, I have some things to talk about with people now. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a different, I mean, it's different in mindset, but it's also different just physically in the space. And I would imagine that also opens up some challenges too, as far as you know, having an open door and wanting to be very accessible and very coach-like within a law firm. How do you also then get the work done that you know, you're still doing client work as well? You need time to focus. How do you balance those? I think by being much more accessible in some ways that it becomes easier to restrict access as well. So sometimes I might have to put a sign up on my office door that I'll be in a teleconference or an academy session and people will give me that space because they know it won't be their only time to get a hold of me. You know, sometimes what happens is if it's very hard to get someone's attention and you need it, people become a bit more frantic about it. And now if I need some time because I'm doing something, I could really just let people know and they're usually just fine with it unless it's an absolute emergency. But I think one of the things that we've been most successful at through having a lot more open communications is that the amount of emergencies we have is far, far less than it was when I first started in this position. The word that's coming up for me so much about what you just said is presence. It's because you're so present with people now and not just trying to stop the conversation quickly and be efficient when you are not available, then people know, okay, I I will have that time. I'll have the ability to ask questions at another time. So you're able to be more fully present with them in the moment. And you're able to dive away for a bit when there's something important you're working on, or you need to do the deep work, or you're thinking about strategy or vision, which I know you're doing a lot now too. So by being really intentional and present in both of those spaces, it allows you to do both of them better. Yes. And one of the things I remember talking about in the academy very early on was that I had made it a point to get out of my office a lot more and to walk around the office and looking forward to getting to do that again someday. But it made a very big difference because when people saw me more because I was walking by their office or stopping by to have a conversation, one of the things that a byproduct of that that I hadn't anticipated was that 
a lot of questions that associates may have had or issues that were coming up, I got to deal with much earlier than normally would have happened when they finally did come after they tried many things that hadn't worked or they you know, were becoming more worried about it. A lot of the questions of, that I might get from people coming into my office were answered just by taking a, a 10-minute stroll around the office. I think that you know, when I first started as an attorney, that sort of thing was a little frowned upon. And I started as an attorney a long time ago, but you were sort of, certainly as an associate, you were expected to be in your office and to, if you weren't in court, to have your head down and be plowing away at what you were doing. And I think something is lost when, you know, even if I'm answering a lot of questions in my office, if I just stay in there, because getting out uh, makes a a really big difference. And it also, I think, helps people just knowing that I'm there. And you don't have the emergencies that come up as much. It's like so much like, uh, you know, an ounce of prevention's worth a pound of cure, right? So by being out there proactively and having conversations proactively, the true emergencies, you know, really are emergencies and you can handle them better, but they don't happen as much because you're being so much more proactive. Uh, such a Such a good reminder for all of us. You've mentioned the Academy a few times and some of the things you've brought up in the sessions. As you reflect on the last uh, two years that you've been with us in the Academy, what's been useful to you? Oh, I, I almost wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, there's been so much, but I think one thing that's been very useful that I would not have expected was in the Academy, I get to talk to people who are in all sorts of different industries and different lines of work. And I didn't realize how much of what they say and their experience is transferable and useful in my own. We've recently started instituting teams, and we had done that in the past, and it hadn't gone particularly well when we did it years and years ago. But one of the benefits of the academy is that I've been doing peer-to-peer mentoring, and my peer runs teams within a company where he's working on technology. And he's taught me a lot about the strategy of using teams and how to set up teams. And it's been incredibly helpful. So, you know, whether it's speaking to a high school principal, a cardiologist from Brazil, a woman who runs a gymnastics academy in the Midwest, these people have given me so many ideas and so much help and validation in what I'm doing. It's just a tremendous benefit. You know, it's it's amazing how the people stuff is so similar across industries. Uh, certainly, there's industry context that changes in, in the work we all do. And yet the people stuff and then getting out of our heads of how we do it within our organization, how we do it within our own industry, really does often illuminate new ideas that are really helpful. So uh, I'm so glad, so glad to hear that. You know, one of the things I often ask of folks when we have them on the show, Michael, is what they've changed their minds on in the last few years. Because, of course, leaders are always learning and growing. As you reflect on the last year or two, what have you changed your mind on? I think a lot of it comes from the growth I've made in terms of being more effective in delegation. In December of 2019, I had a serious health issue that took me away from the office for uh, a couple of months. And while I was still working with my people, I couldn't be present there. And 
what I saw from afar and what I internalized was how much people want to help and want to grow. And it was the final step in really becoming much more effective that in delegating and giving people authority and giving them the ability to run projects and do things on their own and with other groups of people that maybe they put together, that I was actually doing them a service or showing faith in them. I was letting them grow and that in the converse, to worry about and to micromanage things and to hold back on delegation was doing my firm at disservice and was doing the clients ultimately disservice. So that was the last really big thing that I, that I changed my mind on is, is delegation as a necessary evil to delegation as something that is necessarily good. Michael Byrne, partner at Silverman, Shin and Byrne. Thank you so much, Michael, for sharing your story. I just love working with you. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Several related episodes to this conversation. One of them is episode 237. These coaching questions get results with Michael Bungay-Stanier. You heard Michael and I in this conversation talking about the word coaching and becoming more coach-like. And in episode 237, Michael Bungay-Stanier, author of The Coaching Habit, walks us through seven key questions that we can use as part of our repertoire as leaders to begin the process of becoming more coach-like. If you would like to take that dive in as well, that's a great episode to start with. Also, The Coaching Habit, a wonderful book to begin that journey with. I'd also recommend episode 413, Effective Delegation of Authority, with my guest Hassan Osman. Hassan and I uh, talked in that episode on the structural things the tactical, how to actually go through the delegation process. So you heard today what it looks like of making that shift. In episode 413, Hassan and I talked about start to finish. Where do you begin to think about the conversation beforehand to start to delegate? The during, what does that conversation actually look like? How do you make expectations clear? And then the follow-up process. So it's a nuts and bolts approach to beginning with delegation. And if you, like me, coming out of this conversation are thinking about how do I delegate better and how to actually start on the tactics to doing that. Episode 413 is a great compliment for you. And finally, I'd recommend episode 454, how to ask better questions with David Marquet. One of the things you heard Michael talk about in this conversation was time of possession, how much time that he was talking in conversations versus how much time other people were talking and making that shift over time. David Marquet calls that the coefficient of conversation and looks at that in leadership and how we can ask better questions that really do help create a learning environment, not only for the person that we are leading, but also for leaders and executives in the organization as well. Episode 454 is a great place to dive in on that. All of those you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. And while you're online, if you are interested in discovering more about the Coaching for Leaders Academy and working with a cohort of participant leaders and me for an entire year to drive your leadership development, coachingforleaders.com slash academy is where to go. You can sign up there to be alerted when we open up applications next 
for membership. Usually that's just twice a year, only for a few days. So if you'd like to get on the early alert list, when applications open up, coachingforleaders.com slash academy is the very best place to go. And if you haven't yet set up your free membership, that's a great starting point for diving in more on the entire library online here since 2011. If you go over to coachingforleaders.com, You'll be able to set up your free membership in just a few seconds. It'll give you access to the entire library, searchable by topic. One of the topics in there is all the Saturday casts. Uh, Over the years, I've been featuring many of our Academy members and longtime listeners and their stories of how they've taken what they've learned on the show, the Academy, and conversations with our community members and applied it to get good results in their organization. All of that you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. Just set up your free membership and you'll be off and running with all of that. On Monday is our next episode, the next regular episode. David Hutchins is joining me to teach us three stories to tell during uncertainty. Storytelling so important for leaders. David's going to be walking us through how to do it well in this time of challenge. See you on Monday for that conversation. Take care, everybody.